like they work hard. Um, they really do. We love you. So like, yeah. you know, they practice individually, but it's one thing to be like a talented individual. It's it's another thing to like make it work together as a band. You know, that takes a lot of work and a lot of hours. So thank you guys for all that you do. Uh, I know it's a lot. So today we're continuing our series of the Gospel of Matthew, who is Jesus. And last week we're in Matthew chapter 8. Today we are in Matthew chapter 9. And just a little bit of context for this story. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is actually right before this. And I think I may have preached on that one with you guys already, so that's kind of why I'm skipping it. There's also another reason I, want, I really want to teach on this one tonight. But the story just before it is this story of a paralytic who's paralyzed. You know, he's, he's on this mat, and some guys see him, and they bring him to Jesus. And they, there's no room for them to get this paralytic to Jesus, so they have to tear through the roof. And they bring him down through the roof to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. And there's this message about, like, forgiveness of sins, and Jesus having the power of God and the paralytic. He rises up, he takes his bed, and he walks out of there. And this is just an amazing story. And so where we pick up this story that we're looking up today is right after that story. And we're picking it up in Matthew chapter 9, if you guys are following along. But tonight, what we're talking about is sharing your story. What is your story? If someone was to ask you about, like, what are some of the most important things in your life? What are your most important life experiences for someone that knows you really well? What would they say those things are? The first point tonight is that you have a relationship with Jesus. You have a story that needs to be shared. Your story is not insignificant. Now, some people think of a testimony or a story of salvation that's like these crazy dramatic stories where some dude was like on every drug in the world and like partying all the time and drinking and then they give their life to Jesus and it's awesome, this dramatic, miraculous change. And that's great. Testimonies like that are awesome. That's not everybody's testimony, right? But every testimony is a story of someone who went from death to life. Every testimony is a story of someone who went from lost to found. And Matthew, who wrote this gospel, shares with us his story. He, he maybe didn't have to put it in there, but he chose to share his story with us. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. And we can see how the example that Matthew gives us in sharing his story, how we can model that and share our story with others, okay? So starting out in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, I want you guys to take out all your phones. Some of you guys already have them out. Wow, crazy. Take out all your phones, and I want you to go to your notes, okay? And I want you to fill in this blank right for me right here. As we're going through this. Before I met Jesus, I was blank. Now, Matthew, he's sharing his story. And before he met Jesus, Matthew was a tax collector. You, for you, like, you're probably not a tax collector. Like, I don't think the IRS is hiring people your age right now. Um, but you were something. Before you met Jesus, maybe you had a certain struggle with depression. Maybe you had a certain addiction that you just didn't know how to cope with. Maybe you had broken relationships that you didn't know how to mend. Before you met Jesus, you were blank, okay? I want for you to just fill in that quick sentence for yourself. You guys got it? Give me a thumbs up if you got it. Thumbs up, thumbs up, see thumbs up? Oh, anytime. A little bit, okay. 
Before I met Jesus, I was blank. So Matthew would say he was what? What would Matthew say he was? I just gave you guys the answer. Tax collector, right? Matthew would say, before I met Jesus, I was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own people. Matthew would steal from people. That's what tax collectors did. And he was a Jew. And so what that meant was he sided with the Romans who took over the Jews. He sided with the oppressors. And he stole money and oppressed his own people. Matthew was a bad guy. He would task them and ask for even more money than he had to. And he was hated by the Jews. But he was extremely wealthy. He had everything that he could want. He had every earthly need that he could ever want. And to be honest with you guys, part of the reason why I actually wanted to preach through the Gospel of Matthew, one of my inspirations, was the TV series The Chosen. Have you guys seen that yet? Yes. Give me a nod. So I recommend it. It's totally free online or whatever. There's an app too. It's a great show. And I love the guy how that guy portrays Matthew in that show. It's, it's like, it's really good. So I really recommend that. So I'm just going to pretend like I can hear that. So I love the guy that plays Matthew in that show. But I love that he was a tax collector, right? And it kind of gives you the backstory of Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the tax collector, how everybody hated him. He was isolated from his own people. His own family hated him because of what he did, Right? And all this, I believe, is probably true. I think there's some freedom there. Just kind of guess what Matthew was like. And at that time, Jesus was doing miracles in the area where Matthew lived. So Matthew probably heard about Jesus. Perhaps he saw Jesus teach. Perhaps he saw even Jesus perform miracles. I don't think that this was random. I don't think that randomly Jesus walked up one day and Matthew had never seen him before and Jesus said, follow me. Matthew's like, okay, like I'm going to follow this stranger. I think Matthew knew something about Jesus, something about his teaching and how it was different. Something about the call of the gospel. So even though Matthew had everything that he could want, he had every material possession that he could want. He had all the nice shoes. He had all the nice clothes. He has held in high esteem, not with his own people, but with other people like him. He had all these things that he could want. But he saw Jesus offered something that he did not have. But in order for him to get what Jesus offered, he had to give up the stuff that he did have. The call to follow Christ is a call to leave everything else behind. When we follow Jesus, we leave behind our pride. We leave behind our desires for sin, our attachment to sin. We leave behind our comfort. That's a big one. We leave behind our control. We surrender our control to God being the Lord of our life. We leave behind a lot of things when we surrender to him. Maybe you don't want to follow Jesus and leave everything behind because you don't always feel like you can do that. Maybe we don't always feel like we can follow Jesus in more radical ways because that's kind of entering into uncharted territory for us, right? I heard this story about elephants. Who likes elephants? Do you guys like elephants back there? Yes, yeah. You like elephants over here? I like no. elephants. They're kind of cool. So I heard a story about this other country. They get these baby elephants, and then what they do is they tie this rope around the neck of the baby elephant. Everybody say, oh! oh. Yeah, messed up, right? So they tie, they tie the rope around the neck. It's scary. It's bad. And so then they, they tie this rope to a stake in the ground. And so the baby elephant is trying to, like, walk away, but it's tied to the stake in the ground. 
and it tries again and again and again, perhaps for hours and hours and hours. And eventually this baby elephant figures out, I can't escape from this. But as the baby elephant grows up, it actually gets to a point where it becomes strong enough to escape from that stake. A full-grown elephant will easily be able to just rip that stake out of the ground and just walk away. But because at a young age, it was convinced that it couldn't do that, psychologically, it does not think. Every time it feels even just a little tug, it knows, oh, I can't, I can't take that next step. In the same way, there's things that we carry with us from a young age, things that we have convinced ourselves, maybe steps of faith we haven't taken, because we have convinced ourselves, oh, I can't take that step yet. Even when we grow to a place where we're old enough, we're strong enough, we're mature enough in our faith, we still think that we're that small, little, immature Christian when God has grown us into something greater and God is challenging us to take that next step in our faith. But we still feel stuck. Do you feel stuck? Matthew was stuck in the tax booth. Just prior, this was just prior to the story of the paralytic, and I think there's a reason for that, because this paralytic was stuck. He literally could not move, right? He's paralyzed. He couldn't do anything. He was helpless. And then he meets Jesus. And Jesus, you know, the, the, Jesus says to him, I forgive your sins. And the Pharisees that were there, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus said, so that you know, I, the Son of Man, have the authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic and he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Because the paralytic didn't just need to be healed from his paralysis. He needed his sins forgiven. And we go from this story of a paralytic being stuck, needing his sins forgiven, to Matthew, who has been stuck in his sin. To Matthew, who has been stuck in this tax booth. To Matthew, who has isolated himself, getting stuck in a sin that caused him to isolate himself from others, to isolate himself from God. And Jesus calls Matthew right there. The next point tonight, if you guys can pull your phones to your notes again, it says, I met Jesus at blank. Now, for you, I want you to think about when did you really get real with God? Maybe you haven't gone real with God like you really should yet. We can talk about that later. But maybe for you it was at a church camp. Maybe for you it was at church. Maybe for you it was that somebody prayed for you at school. Like Maybe it was with your family in your, in your bedroom praying. Like I don't know where it was. But you probably met Jesus somewhere. We meet Jesus in different places, but Jesus always meets us in the same place. He meets us where we're at. And Jesus met Matthew right where he was at. Matthew was sitting in the tax booth. Matthew was sitting in that place where he sinned over and over and over again. Jesus called Matthew to follow him, probably in the middle of Matthew sinning. It's like, it's like a drug addict is taking drugs, and Jesus calls that drug addict right when they're doing that in the moment, follow me. It's like an alcoholic's taking a drink and holding the bottle, and Jesus says to them, follow me. It's like someone with a porn addiction is holding their phone in front of them, and Jesus says to them right in that moment, follow me. It's like someone who's a liar, and that's their problem, and they're in the middle of telling a lie, and Jesus tells them in the middle of that moment, follow me. Matthew was in the tax booth, and Jesus met him right there in the middle of his mess in the middle of his sin. And that's where Jesus meets us. And that's where you meet him. 
Sometimes we think we have to be better to follow Jesus. And you probably know in your head, like, okay, I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by faith in Christ. But we still sometimes think we just need to be better, right? Sometimes we think my relationship is good with God if I haven't sinned in this long. That's what makes it better. My relationship with God is better if I just stay pure for this long. But our relationship with God is based on his grace. It's not based on our lack of sin. It's based on his grace. And that's where he meets Matthew, right where he is. And Matthew is telling his story to you tonight. Are you listening to Matthew's story and how it affects your life? Because Matthew is saying to us, this is where Jesus called me. Jesus called me in the middle of my brokenness, in the middle of my isolation, in the middle of my mess. Jesus called me right there. The only thing that can make you unattached, unstuck from your sin, free from the habits, the negative habits we have, free from our struggles, is to obey the voice of Jesus that says, follow me. And that's what Matthew did. And right here in this verse, we look at verse 9. It's the exact same language that we see. I'll just read verse 7 for you right now. And he rose and went home. It's talking about the paralytic. Literally, two verses later, verse 9, Jesus passed over there. He saw a man, Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he what? He rose and followed him. Matthew had to get up. Matthew had to be obedient to Jesus and follow him. And that's how his life was changed. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a fancy word. All it means is turn around. We say, I'm leaving this thing behind me and I'm going to follow after Jesus. Pastor Elijah said something really good. I might have already repeated. I'll say it again. It was good. Um, he said that Jesus doesn't ask us to be attenders. He asks us to be followers. And a lot of people are church attenders and they think that's good enough. Like, I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to soak everything in like a sponge. And that's my Christian life. But Jesus didn't say, attend me. He said, what? Follow me. Live like I live. Teach like I teach. Go make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 through 13. This is right after this story. And I think the strong implication here is that Matthew invited Jesus over. So, this is great. This is really an oikocentric, this is an oikos thing that's happening here. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when his Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The next point tonight is this. This is what my story means for you. Blunt. I want you to imagine that you're sharing your story with someone. Maybe you have someone in your oikos that you're sharing your story with. I want you to imagine that. Matthew is sharing his story with us. And Matthew is telling us, this is what my story means for you. My story means for you that Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. My story means to you that Jesus came to call the tax collectors and sinners. Maybe your story means something to someone. In fact, I know your story does mean something 
to someone. So right now, just jot down a quick sentence. This is what my story means for you. What do you think your story, how God has changed your life, what would that mean to someone else? How would that show them that God can change their life too? Okay? Matthew is saying, my story impacted the story of others around me. Who's Matthew's oikos? What was Matthew? Who was his oikos? Tax collectors and sinners. And, like, we don't know explicitly what that means. There's, there's other parts in Scripture where sinners seems to kind of insinuate even, like, prostitutes and, and outcasts. People that you think would never want to follow Jesus. That's who Matthew's Oikos was. I want to do an illustration for you guys. Josh, can you do me a favor? In the bottom right corner of the light board, right next to you, next to you, yeah, hit blackout. And then Josh Ortiz, you got some new Joshes. Can you turn off those lights over there? So, don't freak out. Here's the deal. I have a little light right here. So here's the deal. I've heard this a lot. Um, just generally, I think it's the culture we're in right now. I think that we think our world is just dark, and that's true. Our world is dark. Matthew's world was dark. Matthew is so covered in darkness when we're introduced to him in this story. Matthew is the last person that anyone would have expected to follow Jesus. He's the last person because he had so much darkness in his life. To people who have similar Christian morals to you, Josh, turn on the light real quick, then we're turning it off. To people who have similar Christian morals to you, to us, sometimes there can be a blend. Sometimes people, like I talked about, the path to a lot of paths to hell can look a lot like the path to heaven, but they don't have their relationship with God. And so sometimes the lights can look the same, and the light of the gospel doesn't necessarily shine to them because they think that they already have enough light on their own, but it's just the wrong thing. And that's what the Pharisees had. They didn't have the light of the gospel in their life. And so when Jesus brings the light of the gospel to them and shines it on them, they're ignorant to them. They didn't see it as well because they thought that they had so much light in them already. So that's why you can't see this light very much. Then if you turn off the light, Josh, this is a lot more noticeable now, right? Significantly more noticeable. And so I think there's two approaches that we have when it comes to the darkness in our world. One approach is to say, man, the darkness on my school campus is so bad. I mean, you should hear the stuff kids are talking about. You should hear what they're saying. You should hear the kind of things they worship, the kind of things they idolize, how far people are from God. They would never want to hear the message of Jesus. It's so dark. It's so dark. But when we have that mentality, what we do with our light is this. We say it's too dark. It's too dark. But the truth is, darkness doesn't cover light. It doesn't cover the light of the gospel. John chapter 1 says, the light has broken in. The light has overcome the darkness. And so the darker our world gets, the darker this room gets, the easier it is to notice this light. Right? In the same way, the darker our culture is, it's horrible. I hate the darkness of our culture. I agree with you. It's bad. I know it's tough for you guys. But if you hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ to the backdrop of the, the darkness 
of this culture, it's going to shine. And you would be surprised how many people are looking for this light right now. But they can't find this light if we're doing this. We have to hold up this light. Jesus said, if the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. We have to lift Jesus up because otherwise there's just darkness. If you want for your oikos to be drawn to the gospel, you have to lift it up. You have to lift it up. And I think you'd be surprised by how they respond. You can turn the lights back on, Josh. Let's give it up for Josh Ortiz. Yay. And Josh Zavala, my man. So, Matthew's story is telling us that the people that we think won't be open to Jesus, listen to this, if you're zoning out or whatever, pay attention. Matthew's story is telling us the people that we think won't be open to the message of the gospel are in fact the people that need the gospel the most and are in fact the people that perhaps will be the most open to it. Because who did Jesus roast all the time? It was the religious people. Who were the people in the Bible that were the most closed off to the gospel? It was the religious people. It wasn't the tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was criticized for hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. He says, the sick people need the doctor. I didn't come for the people that think they're well. I, I came for the people that know they're sick. I came for the people that know they're depressed. I came for the people that know that they're in darkness right now. And that's the people that Jesus came for. And that's a lot of the people in our lives. And that's us, right? That was us when Jesus met us. The International Mission Board is a Southern Baptist mission organization that sends out tons and tons of missionaries. And they, did, they do all these surveys and all this research to calculate unreached people groups and people that just don't know Jesus. And they calculated that every single year, 57.5 million people die without Christ. Every year, 57, let's just think about that for a second. If you believe in heaven, you believe in a loving God, you believe that Jesus is the Savior who came to bring us out of, out of that place called hell. 57 and a half million people die every year without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And surely some of those people, some of those people rejected God. In fact, all of them in some way have rejected God. But some of these people never heard the name of Jesus. They never heard it because somebody didn't tell them. Can I be honest with you guys? And, and, and that's, by the way, just to calculate it out, that's two people every second. So, I don't know the exact math, but like every minute that I've been preaching, that's like 120 people, right? Um, and you know what I wonder? I wonder how many of those people we walk past every day. I wonder. Can I be honest with you guys? When I preach something, especially if I preach something convicting like this, the first person that gets convicted is me. The first person that gets convicted is me. Like, and like God convicted my heart especially about three weeks ago when I did that salt and light sermon, be salt to get lit. You guys remember that? And so I was doing that. And there's a couple of other things that God just used to convict me lately. But man, like, I get convicted when I, when I preach something. When I preached on worry a couple weeks ago, like, I was worried about something that day. I don't remember what I was worried about. But God was, like, giving me a message, like, you got to chill out, bro, right? So whenever I share a message with you guys, 
I'm the first person that gets convicted. I can promise you that, okay? And my goal is not to bring the message that I share with you down to my level of living. My goal is to bring my level of living up to the message. Because my goal is to preach what the Word of God says. And I want to bring my personal level of living up to what the Word of God says. And I hope that you guys would want to do the same. And so on this topic, though, I felt convicted. I felt convicted like, man, I'm not sharing the gospel enough. That was my conviction. And I was really thinking about it. And I want to share a little bit of my story. Is that okay? Just a little bit? So when I got right with God, um, I got more serious with my relationship with God right before I started high school. And, and I met my youth pastor. His name was Jeremy. He's a little short guy. And then I was the same height as him because I was a little short guy back then. You guys met him a little while. It was a couple years ago or whatever. But anyways, so I started going to this Tuesday night evangelism. We'd share the gospel with college students on this campus. And I was 14 years old. And we were going out. And, and I was watching Jeremy. And Jeremy was just walking up to college students, introducing himself. How you doing? And he's telling them about Jesus. He's telling them about Jesus. And generally speaking, every conversation we had, pretty much, was a good conversation. Sometimes people wanted to give their life to Jesus. Sometimes they didn't. But most people appreciated that conversation. And so I shared. The, I began to grow in that, and I was sharing the gospel with more and more people. I started sharing the gospel with people at my school at my high school. And over time, you know, give or take, over the course of my high school time, from the time I was a freshman to a senior, 14 to 18 years old, I shared the gospel with over 200 people. And the reason why I share that with you guys is to, is to tell you this. You can do it. You can do it. I feel like there's a lot of fear in this generation. I don't, I'm not blaming you guys. I think it's what the world has put on you. I don't think that's fair to you. I don't think it's fair. I think with COVID, the world put all this fear on you. Like, like people are more divisive right now today than they were 10 years ago. That's a fact. They want you to be afraid. The enemy wants you to feel afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants you to feel afraid to be different while you're young. The, one of the greatest times to be different. One of the greatest times to stand for your faith. And every time that I share something with you guys that's a call to action, my conviction is to do that too. And really, like I said, I was convicted when I preached on that evangelism sermon at Salt and Light a few weeks ago. And um, God was just telling me, you got to share the gospel with people more. And so I started doing that. Last week, I talked to a Muslim girl at Miramar College named Yasmin. After that, I told a Muslim guy named Osai. Um, I talked to another guy after that named MJ that wanted to give his life to Jesus. I talked to um, I talked to a guy named Michael. I talked to a guy named Joe, another guy named Mike. They're both Jehovah Witnesses. I talked to um, this is off the top of my head right now, but I talked to about eight people. Most of these conversations actually went like an hour long. And these are people that are barely, these are like 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, give or take. So it's pretty much, it's, it's this generation. And all these people were open to hearing the message of the gospel. They're open to it. They're open to having a conversation. And they agreed. Elijah was another guy playing basketball with him. They agreed. By the way, I'm making a comeback. They agreed 
that this is worth looking into. And sometimes when you tell somebody about Jesus, it's not always going to be like, oh, I want to give my life to Jesus right now. Sometimes it's just like you just leave a little nugget of curiosity. You say, have you ever, this is my story. You have the tools now. Before I met Jesus, I was blank. I met Jesus at blank. This is how I came to understand the gospel. And now, this is what this means for you. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Something I tell people is like, if there's a 1% chance that what I'm telling you tonight or today is true, it's worth looking into. And they say, you know what? That's fair. <coughs> if there's a 1% chance that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven, he's worth looking into. And people appreciate that. And people are curious about that. And these are people in your generation. And so I wanted to give you guys an encouragement that it is possible. I know it's scary, but God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of sound mind, of power. The power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. But we have to choose whether or not we want to tap into that, right? And so... I hope that that was encouraging to you guys. I know sometimes we need that conviction, like, oh, I should be doing this. But I want to encourage you, man, this is possible because Jesus said, I'm with you. And we're not sent alone, we're sent together. You are the one that Jesus came for. Maybe your story hasn't begun. Wherever you're at right now, maybe your story hasn't begun. Maybe tonight could be the night that you meet Jesus for the first time and really get real with God. That's what the leaders are here for. Please come up to us. Talk to us about that. We'd love to talk to you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. Man, that's what this is all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the story of Matthew and his testimony, how anyone can be saved, that you didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners just like me. Sinners just like all of us in this room. God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage. God, that we would not give in to the spirit of fear that this world wants us to give in to, but that we would rely on your spirit of power that rose Jesus from the grave. God, that you would give students the encouragement even just to bring up God or church in a conversation with someone. God, that you would give them that boldness that maybe they didn't have before, Lord, that they would seek you in that and take steps of faith to continue to seek you in that. Lord, I want to pray for revival with these students. God, I want to pray that you would just put a fire in their hearts that's greater than any campfire. A fire in their hearts that's greater than anything they've ever experienced in their life because they see the miracle of salvation with their own eyes, with their own oikos, because there's nothing like it. And God, I just pray over this time that you would just work that miracle in our hearts. I want to pray this in the strong mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, I want to do something a little different tonight.